Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode three of As We Go podcast. I have my lovely wife, Anna, on today, and we talk about her growing up, how she was shaped by missions, even from an early age, through reading, through books. And then we also talk about the Enneagram, how that was (laughs) kind of confronting for her. And then we also talk about, um, yeah, just more about reading habits and the theme of hospitality. So stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to As We Go podcast. I have a very special guest. The most the special. I didn't say that. I mean, <laughs> everyone is special in their own right, but obviously today I have someone who's near and dear to me. So, Hello, I'm Anna Patterson, Blake's wife. My wife. <laughs> so, if it seems maybe I don't know what questions to ask her because I... <laughs> I have questions I ask her, but it could get weird. She has her kombucha here. Um, Real quick, like, how did you get involved in kombucha? Did you have, like, a influencer or something? Um, My mom made kombucha, and so I don't... I think at first I didn't really like it, and then I... I'm the kind of person who I don't just like to see other people do stuff. I like to do it myself. And so my sophomore year of college, I started making it, which is probably a good time because I also was having a lot of digestive issues. And so Hmm. I think it's a good, helps my tummy. Well, that's actually good because that'll go into what we're going to talk about next was your digestive (laughs) issues. (laughs) Please no. (laughs) Okay, we won't go there. But, um, yeah, that's cool. I even know that about you. <laughs> I'm drinking apple cinnamon kombucha. It's pretty good. Yeah. Well, you're also kind of trendy. Yeah, that's what Blake didn't really like about me when he dated me, was how trendy I was. <laughs> it was the, it was like chacos, it was... But I feel like you're trendy in the sense that you're actually, like, you get good at things and not just for, like, social media. You just, like, Instapot or Chacos or Kombucha. Like, you actually enjoy those things. It's not. I do like to influence you because now you have Chacos. That's true. (laughs) There's a lot of things that I didn't want to be influenced by. I think I'm reluctant to, like, jump on your trains. Yeah, pretty much. Because if I like it, you're skeptical. I'm like, "Mm, I can't be like Anna. Yeah. Anyway. Well, Anna, um, we're here to get to know you a little bit. Uh, Why don't you start with uh, growing up? Uh, What's your family like? And yeah, what did following Jesus look like for you? Yeah. um, So I grew up in a Christian home. My dad, when I was growing up, worked... Both my parents were on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ, which is now called Crew. And so we moved around a lot when I was really little because my parents would work at universities. And then my dad, I think he also worked with Navy SEALs. I might be making that up. I just knew we hung out with a lot of military people at one point in college, though. So They were Navy SEALs. We knew some Navy SEALs, but this was also my perception as a five-year-old, and so... Do you know if the Navy SEALs were, like, following Jesus? They were in crew, I think. Oh, interesting. But I could also be totally wrong, because I was five, and I just haven't asked my dad about my memories. <laughs> I haven't checked, okay. memory checked yet. Anyways, um, and so then, I have... I'm the oldest. Um, my sister and I were Irish twins, so we were born less than a year apart. So we've got her, and then I've got two younger brothers. And so together we're all about, I'm five years older than my youngest brother. So as people like to say, my mom had a litter of kids. Yeah, like four kids in five years. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But it was really fun because like we just play together all the time. 
Um, and then I went to Awana when I was little. And, like, I knew about Jesus. Like, I remember, like, my parents, like, singing about him. And, mm-hmm. you know, we would do devotionals. Um, I went to an Awana's event, though, that the speaker, like, really scared me. Because she talked about, she made this analogy of, like, this boat was going to come away, come and take away all of his, like, believers. And everyone who didn't believe in Jesus would, like, be left behind. And I think even then I had a fear of being left behind. And so I went home. I remember where I was. I was on, I was upstairs, outside the bathroom, on the ground, like, crying. Because I was so scared that I was going to get left behind. And so I don't know if that was, like, I feel like my testimony has changed since then. But I do remember that was still a pivotal. I think I felt, like, comforted by Jesus. I don't know if that, I think it was more, I was, like, obviously more um, motivated by fear. But I still remember being, like, comforted and feeling like, okay, like, I do believe that there is a Jesus. And I think that that is a reality. So that was, like, when I was in kindergarten. Obviously, it wasn't as dramatic as it, like, I wasn't that intellectual at five years old, <laughs> but... <laughs> you knew about Jesus, though. Yeah. My emotions kind of ruled. Well, you're five. Yeah. Huh. So, did you, like, seek to obey from there on out? You're like, okay, if I'm following Jesus, I gotta... I mean, that's tough, because I'm a rule follower, as it is, and a perfectionist, and just the do-gooder. Um, firstborn and so yeah if I look back I'm like I don't really know what my motivations were if they were like pure or not Um, I do know so then in a third grade we moved from Wisconsin to Iowa yeah and left a lot of really good friends and I really enjoyed my school and I was pretty mad about it and like I still believed in God, definitely, because I would just tell, I would just, I was like a brat, basically, (laughs) and I just was like, my mom told me I should, like, journal about it, and I basically just, like, wrote pages and pages of complaints about how unhappy I was, and I was pretty, yeah, just bratty to my parents about why we were living there, and, um, but even still, like, even after a couple months of just being really mad at God, um, I felt at one point that he did communicate to me um, that it was going to be okay, that I just needed to be patient. You had a dream. That's right. Yes. This is where we get into the... The supernatural. Supernatural, controversial elements of (laughs) does God speak to you in dreams, which I think so. At least I think he, even as a third grader, I don't know if my parents were asking for him to intercede in my life at this point because they were so tired of dealing with me. But, no. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you've told me in the past, like, it was a dream that, mm-hmm. like, it was got kind of, I don't know, like, comforted you. Yeah, so basically I was really upset about my lack of, I lost a lot of good friends in Wisconsin. I think that was my ma- my biggest concern with being in Iowa, even though I had, you know, there were lots of really fun girls in my class. Mm, yeah. I remember one night I had a dream. I was, like, looking over this field, and I looked. I thought it was going to be a scary dream, so I almost, like, thought about I almost, like, you know, tried to wake up. Um, and then I looked up in the sky, and there was an angel that was, like, covered in diamonds, and then I looked over, and this is where I can, like, remember it really well. I looked over to the right, and there was sunlight coming out of these, like, thunderclouds. And I just heard this very deep voice say, be patient, and it will come. And I woke up immediately after that, and I didn't really doubt that it was a dream that God had spoken to me. Because, and I, I felt like I also knew what he was talking about was, mm-hmm. like, friendship yeah um and then like you know like fast forward to high school I had some many and just like really great Christian friends and which is rare in high school which is pretty rare my mom even told me she went to the same high school I did um and said that like she only knew of one Christian girl in her high school in Bettendorf and that's like yeah pretty big school and so yeah it's really big school and so I just felt like I grew up like really protected 
and I just had some really great relationships and great accountability. Um, and some of those girls now are in ministry or, um, yeah. And so looking back, I'm like, okay, I, you know, you can question whether or not that dream was from God, but the results do show that it did come and I try to be patient. So, Hmm. I mean, yeah, that's a super great story. Um, which I like to hear every time. Uh, talk about more of what was following Jesus like um, in high school and going into college. Mm-hmm. And maybe a fluff like in just like your interest in missions. Like, yeah. How did that come about? Uh, yeah, so I mean, even just growing up, my dad provided me a lot of books on missionaries. And so I remember my freshman year reading this book called Kisses from Katie by Katie Davis Majors. And it's a pretty radical story of her going to Africa. Um, and As like a teenager? She like just graduated high school. Oh, okay, yeah. She, she goes to Africa and adopts like eight kids, like as an 18-year-old. And um, again, I don't like to just read what people do. I want to go do it. So I was like, I'm going to go to Africa. And so, um, thankfully at the same time, my youth group, this is my junior year where I just begun to start thinking about going to like, what, it, what would it look like to go overseas? Um, and they, the message one night was just like, unless you're been told to stay, you should just always be going. Mm. And I was like, I have this opportunity that my, my dad reminded me that we knew a family in Africa right before this and so I was like I have this opportunity and my parents are okay with it like they're let it they're okay with me going basically by myself to Africa to stay with his family for a month like I should just take it and go um and so that was my first experience overseas um you were there for you were in Zambia yeah I went to Zambia for a month yeah, Tongwe, Zambia. It's like an hour outside of the capital, Lusaka. So it's like a small town. So it goes like city, town, bush. So I wasn't like tribal. It wasn't tribal. But you weren't urban either. But I wasn't urban, yeah. Um, and so I thought that that was... Like, yeah, I had assumptions and expectations about what missionary life looked like. And I don't think... It was more just like watching my host mom and my host dad they just lived life pretty normally they I mean they had some more sacrifices that they had to make daily like not seeing family making all their food from scratch they didn't have you know electricity all the time Mm -hmm. um but they just like lived really intentionally on mission and so as I I just felt like I fit right in with their family and I think that influenced like I remember going on this prayer walk Actually, I was really sick, but I did it anyways, because uh, I got sick every week in Africa, um, and just was like, okay, I think this really, I think God's tugging my heart in one direction. I don't think it's going to be Africa particularly, um, but this lifestyle fits, and like I feel good, and I, I wasn't like super culturally stressed. I felt pretty flexible. Hmm. I was willing to try a lot of new things um, and develop relationships. So, yeah, because you had like your first grounded experience mm-hmm. in missions, and I think you've told me in the past that Africa trip was more of like, all right, how do I get this theoretical mm-hmm. vision of what missions is out of my head to like actually live it out? And then you did, and. Mm-hmm. For a month in Zambia and I mean what groundedness admissions look like was still appealing to you Mm -hmm. yeah because I definitely was like oh Elizabeth Elliot Amy Carmichael it's like these highs every day of saving you know hundreds a day from (laughs) and they're like the authors or like the Christian missionaries you Mm -hmm. read growing up they read yeah Mm. um so I think just going to Zambia was helpful because it um yeah, it served its purpose in me getting just to see what missionary life, like, actually looks like every day. Even with a family, too. And my host mom was just so intentional with me. Um, and so, 
I really attribute, they aren't overseas now, but I really attribute basically everything to, not, well, almost everything to them. Yeah. No, they're a really great family. Mm -hmm. They're actually on Anna and I's uh, support team. Yeah. And, I mean, it's not, I mean, yeah, we just really appreciate them. Mm Mm-hmm. Cool. And so, you had that experience in co- or in high school. Yeah, now you're, so now you have to make a decision for mm-hmm. college. Um, I think this is probably one of the cooler things. Why don't you talk about yeah. like what that process looked like and mm-hmm. how you, yeah. Yeah, and decisions. so my senior year, I mean, it's just like very clear that I think God was beginning to cur- like just show me the way in which I would go. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were actually even hosting an international student from Ukraine. And so I was just actually surrounded by international students and learning to be like, wow, they're not that different for me. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy them. And so I think that's when God began to like actually grow my heart for what it actually looked like to um, love and befriend an international student. Yeah. And then I took um, the class perspectives my last semester of high school. And I remember... Yeah, even just, like, the first class, you leave it and you're like, I can never unlearn any of that. Or even just, like, how to read my Bible and see that God has clearly just given. He's like, the whole book is about how people are going to come to know me around the whole world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I just felt very, yeah, you just can't leave the class not feeling kind of accountable. Because, um, like, yeah, you just you can't unlearn it. And so I remember one class in particular that really I really felt like my brain reorient in that like we were sitting there and I was like one of the I was the youngest in my class me and some of my friends were the youngest ones there and um some people were starting to ask when the speaker is like okay go like what's keeping you all from going and the rest of the people in my class you know were either like in college or in like their 40s or 60s yeah and so like, well, like I have this really good job. I have all these kids. I have this sick parent. I mm. have a lot of debt. And they, you could just see that they were discouraged because they wanted to respond, but they felt like they, they wanted to respond to go overseas, but they felt like they couldn't. Their anchors were dropped pretty. Yeah. I mean, it's not necessarily their fault. It's just like, that's how life comes. Mm-hmm. They'd have a lot more to give up. Whereas I looked at my life and I was like, I have none of those things. I'm pretty fresh. I don't have any, like, attachments, really. Um, So, like, I could actually orient the next four years of my life in college so that I can go overseas. And so that is what encouraged me to choose Iowa State versus a faith-based college because I didn't want (laughs) to have that, have a faith-based college be like, deterrent to being able to go into a close country. Yeah. And this was, like, yeah, I did choose over school I wanted to go to since my freshman year of high school. So I chose Iowa State, um, chose English, because that's just a really transferable s- skill across the entire world, so I could go anywhere. Um, and then began to, like, boldly pray. I mean, there was a really big concern with, like, having college debt. And so I just prayed. I was like, God, you have all the money in the world and so I believe that if you're calling me overseas that you it wasn't really even me asking him to provide it was just like you will provide financially mm. for college um Sam went to Iowa State tried to get plugged into IFC my freshman year but I didn't really let freshmen do that back then um yeah so for those of you who don't know our college ministry is called the Salt Company and if you join the leadership after your freshman year which a lot of people do, like, you go into, like, a connection group, which yeah. is just, like, other college students, American college students. But then IFC, an inter- international ministry, you can't be a leader until you mm-hmm. at least lead one year as a connection group leader. So at the earliest, um, you can serve an IFC as a junior, which yeah. you were ready to go as a freshman. Yeah. And, that, I mean, there were times where I doubted that, too, because I remember... Um, after my freshman year, I got a call or an email from the school saying that I owed them, like, $5,000 because they'd taken away a grant from me. Oof. And 
I was like, oh my gosh, maybe God doesn't want me to go to college anymore. Maybe he just wants me to go overseas because if I can't have this grant, like, I'm not going to be able to graduate debt-free. And then, you know, two weeks later, I got offered a job as a CA or an RA, which paid for my housing and provided a stipend. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually at one point was getting paid to go to college. That's insane. So God not only provides, he, it spills over. (laughs) Yeah, he's abundant. Hmm. Yeah, that that is really cool. So you were in college, you were aiming for missions, and you met this guy. (laughs) Yeah. That was another thing I prayed about pretty boldly, is Mm. I'd seen and read about missionary women who had to choose. It made it seem like they had to choose between marriage and missions, and I knew I didn't want to do that. Mm. And so I prayed, God... I either pray that you'll provide me a companion who wants to go overseas or don't provide one at all. (laughs) So the guy we're talking about is me, everyone, if it wasn't clear. (laughs) So when you met me, like, where was I? I don't even remember where I was at in terms of, like, missions. You, because you'd been to China at this point. Yep. And... Uh, I think a couple weeks into us actually dating, you were like, I think you like talked to our leaders or something about overseas stuff. And then like by December, you're like, I want to go overseas like right now, which made me upset. No, that was more in like January, February. Oh, okay. Oh yeah, that's right. Who, what leaders was I talking to? I think it was Clint Miranda. Oh, yeah. Okay. Actually... So, I think can, can, I t- can I t- tell my side a little real <laughs> sure. quick? So, when I, when Anna and I met or started talking, I was a senior and she was a sophomore. And at that point, like all these church plants ideas were coming up. Like there's one in Madison, there's one going to Kansas. And a lot of my friends were going on these uh, plants and I thought oh, I got to jump on a boat here and be a part of, like, what the SALT Network is doing. And I was, like, trying to spearhead my way to go to the Doxa plant, but I was feeling, like, this brick wall in, like, deciding to go to that plant. I'm, like, I was frustrated. I was, like, God, what are you doing? Like, this just makes sense. And... I remember just getting really frustrated and like, well, if I'm not feeling this for Madison, I have no idea what's going to happen moving forward. Mm -hmm. And that was going into my senior year in the fall. And sure enough, like, I want to say within two or three weeks of kind of like that time I had in prayer, that's when, like, I felt inclined to reach out to you. Mm -hmm. So how, how did I... How did I reach out to you? Why don't you tell how it all hmm. unplayed? Because this is this is your podcast. Not That's right. Um, so, I mean, I, you were on my radar. Because over the summer, before my sophomore year of college, I told my dad, there's only one guy I want to get to know, and his name is Blake Patterson. <laughs> yeah, which at that point, we had only met, really. Yeah. We both knew we were in Salt Company. Yeah. But that was, that was about it. Right. And so, um, yeah. And then when I went to an IFC, um, or an International Friendship Connection Farm Festival. Mm-hmm. And I saw you. And I, I saw like, you. And he saw me. Like, apparently he really Okay, saw here's me. what, <laughs> okay. So this is what she means. I, well, I thought you were cute when I first met you. And I still do. But when I saw you at the IFC gathering, I'm, like, kind of going back, only juniors and, like, seniors are people who serve in IFC. And I knew she was a sophomore, but she's at this IFC event. And so I'm thinking, whoa, like, she, if she's here as a sophomore, one, she must be kind of mature. Two, she must have a heart for international ministry, Three, if that's the case, like, I imagine what her faith is like. And she's, yeah, very cute and very attractive to me. (laughs) 
So that's where I the gears started to turn of like, hmm, maybe I should, maybe I should tap here. Maybe I should reach out. Yeah. And so. And you did. I did. I. First, he Facebook friend requested me. That was like on a Sunday. Yeah. And then on Thursday. Thursday night. Thursday night after salt, prime time, to uh. When I'm feeling bold and filled with the spirit. Yeah. You went back to your apartment with your roommate, Daytona Driggers, and you... (laughs) I assembled probably the most important Facebook message I've ever sent. Yeah. I asked Anna to... I don't think I said date. No. You said you had a desire to get to know me. Yeah. And you would like to get coffee. Yep. Which I don't even like coffee, so... Yeah. Um... And it's funny, too, because when I got that message, I was actually talking with my roommates about dating, because my roommate was an international student from India, so she was like, who pays for the meal and stuff? And then I, I was looking down at my phone, and I saw a message from Blake Patterson, and I was like, I know what this is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I didn't respond to it for eight minutes, because I was freaking out. And I was like, okay, I'm obviously really excited, but I don't want to, you know, I gotta be cool about this. Because we also don't know each other. Yeah. So, I just said, hi, Blake. I would really like that. Yeah, which I was, like, really surprised. Because I was like, she said really. (laughs) And these are, like, calculated text messages that we have to send. And so, the fact that she said that, I was like, "Mm." (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we, we started dating. And pretty early on, we were, like, feeling pretty confident. that yeah. I just remember saying, like, people are like, oh, how's dating Anna? And I'm like, great, I want to go on more more dates. And that just, like, kept happening of, like, yeah, I just want to go on more dates. I want to go on more dates. And I asked myself, I'm like, what if I can say this for a lifetime? Yeah. If I can go on more dates with you. And that's, like, I don't know. And then I talked to my sister, and she's like, Blake, you know when you know. And I remember just, like, I'm pretty sure it was a spirit just, like, struck me and, like, yeah, this is, this is it. Like, Anna's the one I've chosen for you type of thing. Which, that's, don't look into that statement, like, that gets into soulmates and stuff. I'm not here to talk about that. (laughs) Yeah, we don't know about that one. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, so we started dating. We both have missions in mind. Mm -hmm. What was... Like, how did that influence, like, your future dynamic and looking into missions? Like, what were just some different components moving forward? Well, so, yeah, we were dating, and then I went to Asia mm-hmm. over the summer. Yep. And the same city that you went to. Yep. Um, and I think that really... In uh, Southeast Asia. Yeah, Southeast Asia. And... uh. Yeah, when, when I was there, I was like, oh, okay. Like, I think Asian culture is my niche. Like, mm-hmm. I always felt like I had this really boring testimony of having, like, you know, just being really academically minded and wanting to follow rules, which all my friends also love to do that in, in Southeast Asia. And so mm-hmm. I was like, wow, I, like, fit in here. Um, and, so yeah, I thought that that was pretty great. But then, you know... I also am the exception to them in that I was like, well, is this isn't going to satisfy, and I often still feel like I'm not good enough, mm-hmm. and so, um, yeah, I mean, even you would say that I'm probably more honor shame than I am guilt innocence yeah. in a cultural sense. Yeah, like, an example of that could be, well, I don't know if I have an example, but, yeah, you want to preserve, like, face mm-hmm. with, like, people and re- relationships. Yeah. Which... Maybe America is not known for. Yeah. And so, I mean, we came, I came back from Southeast Asia, got engaged, like, a couple, like, a month. And then, yeah. <laughs> um, and I think, yeah, after that, we just, orient, like, we knew we were getting married so that as soon as I finished college, we could go overseas. Yeah. And that year of being married was really special, like, important to you, because it was, like, you even found, like... A way to support it physically is like... Yeah. Like, there's a passage. um, And take note for any guys out there who are, like, considering marriage, but also, like, overseas work. Um, There's a passage in the Old Testament 
that talks about how um, men, like in Israel, if they are newly married, they are not to go out to battle within their first year of marriage because it says their command is to please their wife. And I think that's just, that's a principle that could be like supported mm-hmm. even in just, just like wisdom to like, you know, there's yeah. a lot of groundwork to be laid in your first year of marriage. And I think we learned that. Mm-hmm. So. We also had some, our uh, marriage counselors, they had gone overseas pretty early on in their marriage and they were like, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we had a lot of wise counsel. In that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's great. All right, so talk a little bit about the Enneagram, because that was something that really influenced, I would say, both of us in our first year of marriage. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, I mean, you bought the book, but I was, like, one of the first to dig in. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. talk you about... Were, you were skeptical, again, because you thought I was being trendy. Yeah, being trendy, <laughs> I was like, all right, I got to look at this book and see what it said. And I was just, I was blown away. Yeah, I barely got to read it because you would you looked up and then you're trying to figure out which number I was. And you were getting like really mad, mad, yeah. Because it was my book I bought for my birthday. But and, <laughs> like one of the first rules of Enneagram stuff is like you're not supposed to like peg people. Yeah. Which I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that was during our first year of marriage and I read about being a three, the performer, also known as the achiever. and I was (laughs) devastated yeah um I think I mean I knew I was three because they had those little quotes on the first chapter that was like people love me and it resonated with me and like the belief that people love me for what I do not what I am Mm -hmm. um that's something I didn't like I felt that before but I didn't have words for it and then yeah I'm very um aware of how I look in public and it's probably, I mean, it's like an honor-shame thing. Like, I want to be seen as honorable. Um, and I can, you know, easily, uh, you know, I want to entertain. I want to be the best. And it really depends on what the culture is surrounding it. So, like, America is, like, be efficient, be... It's like a hotbed for threes. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, a lot of threes turn into workaholics, which... Mm-hmm. I don't think right now I'm I'm not a workaholic right now, but... Uh, I want to do the best in everything, and... You want to uh, be seen as the best, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what also a lot of threes struggle with is being fake, because, like, especially for me... I'm trying to think of, like, a good way to give an example. Um, oh, okay, so, like, if Blake gets mad at me, huh. I'll apologize to him, because I know that's what I'm supposed to do, but I don't actually, <laughs> like... And, like, I know... I mean, I don't know how long it took for you to pick up on that. I wasn't actually, like, very sorry about some of the things. I feel, like, pretty quickly. I can detect insincerity. Yeah, or inauthenticity. Inauthenticity. Blake has a radar for inauthenticity, which is funny because I was incredibly inauthentic. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, oh, no, (laughs) this could be hard. (laughs) We Um, definitely had some bristle just in that area. You were just like, be genuine. I'm Mm. like, I'm trying I think like I don't know yeah um and so that was really tough so I actually went to counseling um just because it brought out I was also already having a bit of a hard year just with like my brother just gotten out of the hospital first year of marriage we mm-hmm. were trying to deal with some like mission stuff and I was having some doubts and then we were about to raise support too and that just like brings on another front yeah, and so, um, and you know, my counselor, he was really great. He's like, well, I mean, like, the Enneagram isn't, like, scientifically, like, supported. So he's like, don't put too much, too many of your eggs in that basket. But what we did learn was that I'm very competitive. Yeah. And I have to be the best. And especially, unfortunately, where I see that the most is in ministry. Because growing up in a Christian circle... That is the the sphere I want to be seen as successful in. Yeah. Um, and so, it really does make it hard to do things um, authentically, and then it makes me question 
it just made me question like the last couple of years of my life like have I done anything hmm. with authenticity or has it all just been to like make myself look good hmm. um which was really scary to think about and really made me question if I even like had a faith and hmm. yeah. yeah it was scary for me <laughs> it was kind of like almost deconstructing everything mm-hmm. you knew about your identity yeah and then I was worried if, I you know, I didn't want to like have to fight against that the rest of my life of like so then I also think I might be like a three wing four because fours really value authenticity and threes are like, I'm just going to do what I need to, to make it look like whatever people want me to be. And so I'm constantly battling of like, you know, this is what this Christian circle or ministry circle is doing. If I did that, I'd feel inauthentic, but mm. at least I'd be doing what everyone else is doing. Mm. It's like having that constant. And so, you know, it's not only do I have to be the best, too. I have to be uniquely the best. Yeah. Like, I don't like to follow mainstream. But I also don't want to, like, be, like, not invited or, Mm. like, not, yeah. I don't want to be separated. Yeah. So, I think this will be a good question for listeners. So, for me, like... When I learned your three, I know a lot of other threes and I know like the extreme versions of threes. I was like kind of mad when mm-hmm. I found out you were three because I'm like, I don't want fakeness. It's just like all those things you listed off of like, they have to be the best. They have to be seen. They have to be like acknowledged. They're known for like their work and their drive and their efficiency. That was like everything. I'm like, no, like I don't value those things. Like why? It just seems like vain or shallow, but talk a little bit about, and I know that all sounded like really harsh, <laughs> no, it's okay. but I think I have learned like a lot of redeeming aspects of threes. Do you want to talk about like what redeeming aspects are in threes? Cause I don't think that's highlighted in like the book super yeah. well. Um, I'm pretty positive. And so I can see, I think I do see the benefit I give people the benefit of the doubt all the time. Yeah. Um, You're very much silver lining. Yeah, super silver lining. And I, something I would even add on to that is like, in the Bible, it talks about how um, God is working all things together for good. And I find in a lot of scenarios, you're the first one to like find the silver lining of like, well, at least this is still going good. Mm-hmm. and Which you didn't always like. No, I don't always <laughs> like, but I think I've, I'm slowly coming on and being like, oh, actually, that's actually a really beautiful aspect of, you know, nothing is ever too far gone or too hopeless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that was like the first thing that came to mind. Um, and I think... I don't know. Do you have any? That's like the only one that comes to mind. I think like I'm pretty practical. Yeah. And I not really, I like to analyze, but I don't like the abstract. And so I was actually really excited this week when I found out that the culture where we're going to in Thailand, they really benefit from practical, loving relationships. Yeah. That's something I would say. Another thing I would say about you is like, you're super grounded in a sense of you see a need and you're like practically this is how I could help somebody and like I think of um yeah like cards you've made for people or I think of like cookies that you've dropped off tried to tried to even though they were stolen they were stolen (laughs) but you you have a tendency to be like love is not abstract love is like making something and giving it out or helping somebody here mm-hmm. which yeah. is really special i think i'm also i'm very future-minded which mm-hmm. can be tough when everyone else is like okay you need to be in the present and um i think what i have learned though is like rather than just like dwelling on like oh dang it, i'm not being present i'm the worst mm-hmm. i think in some aspects being future-minded has helped make me a pursuer yeah of others and because i'm just always like okay like 
what next. And I wouldn't say my agenda always has pure motive. It's like I need to, sometimes more like I need to fill my calendar. Or, but you know, sometimes it's also like, oh, I know this person is having a birthday. Like, mm-hmm. in two weeks, I should probably contact them soon and be like, hey, you want to get something? And so, yeah, I'm just hoping that becomes more... I don't know, maybe that'll get thrown out the window when we move to a different culture and everyone's, like, last minute. <laughs> we'll need groundedness, yeah. for sure. Yeah, but I think that's one aspect I've been like, oh, you know, I don't always have to feel bad about being future-minded. Yeah, no, definitely not. Or being a three. Or being a three, yeah. I've tried to be a little loose around myself, and I feel like last year I was really obsessed with my personality, <laughs> but now I'm like, uh... There's some more things that are on my, I think, yeah, just what I, what I've been thinking more about this year is like, um, what's the verse that's like, when you are weak, then you'll be strong. Uh, yeah, that's Paul. Um, yeah, basically that. Yeah. And so I thought, you know, my hope is that like, maybe I've spent the, I think especially during college, I think I was pretty inauthentic. Mm. Um, but now because I'm constantly battling that, like, every day, I'm kind of hoping that that's something, that's a strength that ultimately God will, like, fill me with hmm. someday. I'll probably be the last one to know. But. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be the first, though. Yeah. Hmm. All right, this is, I didn't tell you about this question. Oh, no. Uh, ask it. If you had, Lord willing, children... Oh my gosh. <laughs> what, what numbers on the Enneagram would you hope they would be? Hmm. I think I have my answers, but... but um, I have so many friends that are nines. They're I just think... like... I really like my friends who are just... Peacemakers, yeah. Yeah, they're just like... I can really feel myself around them. Mm, yeah. And so I really appreciate that. Yep. Um... Hmm. Yeah, I can. I can do eights sometimes. You can do eights. Not when I mean I'm able. So like my brother's an eight. Yeah, a I challenger. Think, I think he thinks two. I'm cool, even though he maybe doesn't think everyone else is cool. So. I really love the energy of eights. I think to raise one is another thing. I don't know. I don't even know how to raise a person. So. <laughs> Sure. I mean, I do, but... (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. Uh, If I had it my way, I would have, like, Lord willing, we would have a girl who's a two. And then we'd have, like, a nine, (laughs) a one, like me. (laughs) Just like you. Yeah, I'm a one on the Enneagram. One wing two, if you guys, I don't know, keep up with that, but... Maybe we'll just have all, we'll just have nine kids and have all, all the numbers. Yeah, I gotta look out for number six. (laughs) (laughs) I say that asidely or whatever, but okay, cool. Uh, Let's move on from Enneagram. So you are probably the most avid book reader I have ever met or known. So why... Do you like reading books? Um, really calms me down and helps me get out of my head. Mm. I just know, like, when you and I get in a fight, I'm like, I just go read. <laughs> or nap. Or fall asleep. <laughs> Usually a good combo is if you read for a little bit, and then it helps you really sleep really well. Yeah. Um, I think I like stories, and I really like to learn. And yeah. so that was just... I just had such a great time reading when I was little and mm-hmm. I think it gave me a leg up as far as academically and so so would you say you're 50 50 in terms of reading fiction to non-fiction um I, I have my guess but I feel like right I don't trust a lot of adult fiction I think a lot of adult fiction is crappy yep um and I'm always disappointed by, like, you know, national bestsellers that people, like, rave about. Because yeah. it's, like, from, like, throughout a romance and an affair, people are like, oh, it's amazing. Like, this is generic. <laughs> That's my personal opinion. 
So you're talking like the, well, the bestsellers, but the things on Target shelves. And, yeah. yeah. I've been much more disappointed by adult fiction than I have been adult nonfiction. Mm, yeah. Which, yeah, and I, re- I do like to learn. I think it's also, like, nonfiction has helped with worldview mm-hmm. and, like, understanding and empathizing with other people. Yeah. Um, so what are you reading right now? So right now I'm reading the Ballad of Songs and Snakes. It's oh, like yeah. number zero to the Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. It's pretty intense. Um, Hunger Games books are pretty just yeah. like, not dense, but just like abrasive. Yeah. I was kind of like, maybe I, this isn't the greatest book to read right now. As you know, COVID cases are rising and <laughs> it feels like the world is ending and now I'm reading about, you know, people being thrown into the arena and killed and like, oh. Mm. not the best time but i'm gonna finish it okay but you were reading a book before this that you really want to talk about oh yes i know my team is gonna get tired of hearing me talk about this book but i don't really believe they're gonna read it and so i'm just gonna keep telling them and it is the book the phantom toll booth i love this book (laughs) so is it fiction nonfiction? what is it like it is children's fiction it is a chapter book it has pictures but a pretty short read. And do you want me to like tell you about the premise? Uh briefly. Okay. So there's this boy named Milo, and he really can't appreciate anything in life. He doesn't know what to think, he doesn't know what to do. Well, this toll booth turns up in his bedroom, and naturally he has a car in his bedroom as well. And so he drives it through the toll booth and ends up in this other country. And there he just meets a lot of characters and meets these two kings who, they're the kings of Digitopolis and Dictionopolis. So words, numbers, but they have no reason for using their numbers or their words. They're just, it's chaos because they have sent their princess sisters, Rhyme and Reason, to the castle in the air. And so Milo has to go return the princesses to the kingdoms. Mm. And he meets a lot of, like, I think... This book has a lot of irony, mm-hmm. and... It's very clever. Yeah. It has lots of, like, puns. <laughs> yeah. And I'm a very big fan of clever... I like wordplay a lot, and that's what this book has. And so, you know, like, his companion on the trip is this watchdog named Talk. And the watchdog is a literal dog that has a watch in its body like it's like it's like on his uh like belly almost. like his whole belly is a watch yep and so he makes sure it's the, like make sure that they stay on time yeah um, i'm trying to think of like they meet this creature called din and he like loves really loud noises because it's like you know oh what like what's that terrible din i mean it's like an older book so they have older language mm-hmm. so he's representative like all the loud noises in the world mm. And then they, uh, to rescue the princesses, they have to go into the Mountains of Ignorance, where they meet all these demons of, like, real-life problems of, like, laziness, complacency. Um, I actually can't really think of many of the names, but most of the time they can't even recognize that they're demons, because Um, they're so subtle. Yeah. And so they have to fight them all. Yeah. Well, I'm reading the book right now, and I'm kind of surprised at how many times I've laughed mm-hmm. just because yeah the author the author knows what he's doing so yeah not hard to pick up no it's like it's very much a book about wisdom yep because as like Jen Wilkins described like there's knowledge just having facts and information it's like words numbers but wisdom is knowing the rhyme of re- rhyme or reason of what you're going to do with them so yeah it's it's a book for yeah. Wisdom is practical, always. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. That's very cool. Can I tell the best part? Sure. Okay. So, the reason I officially decided that I loved this book is because... I'm just going to tell you all because I really am not convinced that you're going to read it. And so, um, at one part, the kings are sending Milo off to go find the princess's rhyme and reason... And the king says to Milo, I have a message for you. And Milo's like, what is it? And the king's like, 
I can't tell you until you come back. So Milo goes off. He rescues the princess. He's almost overtaken by the demons, but he still makes it back with the princesses. And he's like, goes up to the king later, and he's like, so what was the message? And the king's like, ah, yes. It was impossible. Your mission was impossible. The whole mission was impossible, but the point is knowing that, like, as long as you don't know that, then it's possible. Mm. Because I think that's just really resonated with, like, you know, we have, we're going into the unknown as far as, like, trying to plant something in Thailand. Yeah. And it's like, we probably wouldn't choose any of the trials ahead of us. Mm-hmm. But in hindsight, we'd probably do it all over again. Like, if only we knew, right now we believe it's possible. But looking back, we might be like, oh my gosh, that was only possible. That was impossible, but we have God who makes all things possible. So. Yeah, I wonder if there's like a nuance of, if I told you it was impossible, that's what would have made it impossible. Mm-hmm. But because I, you didn't know, yeah, that's what made it possible. Or even like with COVID, like, what if God... Like, if God was like, do you want to know how long COVID's going to last? I'd be like, no. No, because I don't think I could handle it. <laughs> yeah. I'd rather take it one day at a time. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think it's just a really good message for kids and adults, too. <laughs> yeah. So it is my... I've read it twice in, like, six months because I just love it. Why do you think, like, adult fiction just doesn't cut it, but children's fiction does? I'm interested in your thoughts here. Hmm. Have you ever thought about that? Sometimes. I think C.S. Lewis would have a lot to say about it. C.S. Lewis. I'm trying, I don't know, I have a lot of thoughts about current children's fiction, I think, is often disguised as fiction for adults. I mean, Um. if you look even at, like, this is a different, both entertainment, so many of today's kids' movies have a message that... They have, like, they're communicating something to adults that maybe kids can't pick up on. So there's that level where I think that's a lit. Mm. I think that's sneaky. Yeah. I don't, I don't always like it. But in this case, it's really special because often we're just, like, grown-up kids. And mm. I don't know. I think it's still good to be re- reminded. And I think kids are just maybe more willing to listen because they don't have the life experience to tell them that they can't do it. Yeah. So they're just more open. I feel like it's just a matter of like growing up, but like as a kid, you're like, oh, let's go play outside with like, let's be knights and queens. Mm -hmm. And you just have this whole imaginative like play. Yeah. But then when you become an adult, you don't really engage your imagination that way, Mm -hmm. at least anymore. But then what's so powerful about kids stories is that they can communicate the truths of like the reality god has established through the story mm-hmm. whereas adults just aren't good at it so they're like well i know to make this book fire there's like an affair or there's a murder yeah like i can't tell you how many probably the number one podcasts right now are just murder mysteries mm-hmm. i'm like I have something to say about that, but it's just like, why is that? It's... Yeah. I think there's a difference between being childish and childlike. And I think uh, yeah, like, yeah. childlike is something that it's okay to pursue because, I mean, Jesus even says, like, let the little children come to me and we are his children. And so it's okay to come in as we are. I mean, like, I remember, this is kind of related, but my first job was a courtesy clerk at Ivy. Oh, is that why you said that today? I remember I cried when I put my uniform on because I thought my childhood was over. At 14, like, I just wanted to keep being a kid and, like, I wanted to keep playing. I didn't want, I wasn't trying to put up a responsibility, but I just, like, really like playing and, Mm. like, enjoying creativity. I played with Barbies a lot longer than probably most of my classmates did. So, yeah. So that's why I like playing with kids, because I'm like, sure, we can make this piece of, this block wood really represent a donkey. I don't know, whatever you want it to be. And Yeah. <laughs> Lord willing, it would be awesome if our kids, like, just held on to their imaginary, imaginations for a long time, because 
both of us are kind of like into children's books and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That'd be great. Um, got about five, ten minutes left. Sure. Um, do you want to talk about a little bit of what you're researching now in terms of ministry? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I'm, my personal development this semester is learning about hospitality, which is ironic because with COVID, not really sure how it's supposed to look. Maybe it's more hospitable to actually, like, not invite people over with the fear of COVID. I don't really know. Sure. And it's tough because, like, we have roommates, and so it's just a matter of which we love our roommates. And actually, I love eating with them. And we've actually been able to have, like, mutual friends over and eat with them. Yeah. But it just looks different. Um, and so I think this is more of I really like eating with people. <laughs> I really like making food. And I remember when we first got married, I made the mistake of signing up for a Better Home and Gardens magazine subscription. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I don't know if you remember, I would just be, like, super uptight when we'd have people over. Like, I remember one time we had some friends over, and I made, like, the Mexican rice wrong, and it was, like, super soupy, and I was just, like, distraught. Yeah. And I felt like it had to be super clean, and, like... I was just really uptight and it was hard for me to enjoy. I just felt exhausted even before you'd have people over. Um, and then, I don't know if it just came through practice because when we were sport raising, we like got to have a lot of friends over. Or go to other friends. And go to other friends' house and you just like really enjoyed it. Yep. And then because of COVID, we quickly had to replace those with Zoom meetings, which you're like, this is not. Yeah. Like. I mean, everybody will say that, but yeah. Yeah, it wasn't great. Um. And I think just learning through, like, I've had some really great role models just to show me that uh, basically the conclusion I've come up with is that hospitality is um, displaying to people in a Christ-like way that you can come as you are to the place where I am as I am. Because it's very much how Christ, he's welcomed us into his home as we are, and he is, like, the great I am. And so since he's in us, we can, like... We don't have to, like, be ashamed or try and hide the life that he's given us. Um, like, he's not he's not worried about undercooked rice. He's not worried about right. the color of the rugs. He's just... Much more concerned about the people. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, like, hospitality has been created by God and just, like, the grand scheme of things. And, like, he's invited us. Like, I remember I was going on a walk and... Blake and I will, I mean, who knows when we'll ever live in a house, and I have definitely yeah, right. <laughs> cried over the fact that we might not live in a house for a while, because I guess that was just, I, mean, I just assumed I, we would someday. I don't know. one of the sacrifices. And so I'm walking in this beautiful neighborhood, these beautiful houses, and I'm just thinking, there's this line from this movie I love, uh, Pretty in Pink, where she's looking at the houses, and she's like, I bet they don't appreciate their houses half as much as I do. <laughs> Wow, yeah, maybe that's true. Um, but I was just thinking, I'm like, wow, like, God invited us into his house forever. Like, like I love having people over, but it comes around that time of night where you're like, okay, I'm tired, and I want to go to bed. Like, can you, yeah, like, put I'm your shoes on, yeah, <laughs> go. And God is not, like, he's said he's going to prepare a place for us and with many rooms, mm-hmm. and he said you can forever like he wants us to Mm. so he's designed hospitality and so it's like then there's you know the gospel idea of like as he's been to us so we are to be to others definitely i'm not there yet because i'm only 23 um but i'm just also seeing other trends in the american culture that i think is pretty sad as far as like hospitality goes yeah and that i'm more motivated not by like experience but just by like um fear of like molding into the culture that we currently live in where yeah you know people don't gather as much anymore um like having dinner at a friend's house mm -hmm. is like super awkward yeah or something like that Mm -hmm. like that's the trend we're going in or we only like meet in restaurants with huge tvs and (laughs) yeah yeah we've done i mean i like going out to eat with friends but yeah i'm I get really distracted by TVs, so it's yeah. pretty frustrating for me. You know, I would say you've done a really good job 
even I mean we've been married for a year and a half now but I'm I'm just recollecting all the times we've had people over we've gone to other people's houses I mean we have two roommates now I mean it didn't have to be like that but I feel like both you and I are very comfortable with people in our living space now mm-hmm. would you say like that's true I think so yeah like I really I think you know there's still like that time and place where you need to have like solitude for sure yeah but I like being around people yeah and I yeah for the most part I don't like it when I'm by myself for too long and I just enjoy yeah being in the presence of other people and eating yeah especially eating um all right I have two more questions so one, what would you, let's say we're overseas mm-hmm. and we've been there for a while, like two years from now, what do you want hospitality to look like? Well, that's where there's like the difference between hospitality and entertaining and I kind of want to know how to do both like I really still want to have like holiday parties that reflect you know like an American holiday and invite people over and create like a really fun space that also allows for like like sharing testimonies and yeah um and as far as hospitality like I just really want to have I think we've definitely broken down this like the idea that because we're married and live together like we live in a castle I think Saul has talked about this, where it's like, your home can be a haven, but it's not a castle. And so it's like... (laughs) Yeah, no, I think he was... Yeah, I know what you're talking about. And so it's like, oh, maybe we could have... I really hope people come visit us in Thailand, and then just, you know, stay with us. (laughs) Yeah. And um, even it's like, you know, hopefully we'll meet college students, and they can feel, like, comfortable in our space, and stay... I don't know, with us or, you know, new teammates, like, when they move over, like, um, you know, they could, like, stay with us, too, and... Yeah. I mean, I, me personally, I would love if we just had this culture of open doors, not only for, like, teammates and, like, people who visit us, but also, like, the people we're ministering to, to know, like, if they need a safe place with practical things like food and a bathroom and a like bed or a place to sleep like I would love to provide that because I think as a college student I think we want that Mm -hmm. like you're not meant to be a bachelor or just like lone man person lone man wolf forever like God had designed families and he Mm -hmm. designed homes yeah and yeah, if you don't have a mom, if you don't have a dad, if you're not married, like, that shouldn't exclude you from, like, family or home. Yeah. Mm. But, you know, that's why I have to be careful and not always be traumatic. I mean, like, this is what I want to be, but then I don't take the small obedient steps mm. of, like, practicing that. Because I'm sure when we get to Thailand, it'll be really stressful, and there will be days where I'll just be like, I'm not leaving, and nothing's coming in. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, but... Hopefully this is an area that's just not only academic, but can hopefully, like, what I'm reading, what I'm learning will just continue to influence our, you know, what we're doing. Yeah. No, that's really cool. All right, last question. Um, What aspect or what attribute of God is really sticking out to you right now? These are the things we can't have, right? As far as attributes. It could be um, both we share with God or don't share. It's up to you. Mm. Trying to think. Um, I think, I wouldn't say I've been like, you know, meditating on this, but I think patience, because even, you know, Mm -hmm. we're... I was even reminded, uh, like, at a conference this weekend about, like, you know, God does not think of, um, what's the word? 
like when things are going really slow or not on time, mm-hmm. like God doesn't think of it the same way as we do. Mm-hmm. And he's really, you know, I've been feeling like pretty like crappy the past couple of weeks and being like, oh, God must be so frustrated with me. Mm-hmm. But he's really patient and he's, he's just not trying to rush. Like he could, he'd be like, okay, can you just like be this person now? Mm-hmm. Um, you should know better, that kind of thing. That's what I think he should think. But thankfully, God doesn't think in the way that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so I think patience. And then I really hope, in, I think what I'm struggling right now is with trustworthy. Hmm. Like in my head, I believe he's trustworthy. But I'm struggling to like believe that right now. Sure. But I would love, I think that is something that I really hope will be gained out of, you know, just our current season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. Well, thanks for sharing and sharing your story and giving everyone a chance to get to know you. Mm-hmm. I had a blast. Me too. Yeah. So, well, thanks. Thanks again. And, uh, well, see you later. Okay. See you soon. <laughs>